All right, welcome everybody to another episode of the Construction and Mining Podcast. I'm joined today by Scott Lidster of Australian Earth. Scott is the owner of the company. They're an operator proficiency training company based out of Queensland, Australia. Scott finds himself on quarry, mine, construction, and waste handling sites, offering comprehensive operator training. He has quite the career story with a lot of industry experience to back it up. Today, we're going to talk about the importance of operator training, technology coming to the industry, and the proverbial skills gap for operators right now. Scott, welcome, and thank you so much for being here today. G'day, Mark. How are you? We initially connected over LinkedIn. I saw what you were doing with equipment operator training and reached out. You put out some great content, and frankly, on YouTube and LinkedIn, I think the only operator training, operator proficiency company that does that, and it really caught my eye. No, thank you, mate. Like, yeah, it's um, it's something that uh, it's it's nearly a free hit in in today's business world, Mac. You know, having these platforms that we can place up content, and it, you know, the fact that um, it's trickling through that what we're doing is resonating. That's you know, super encouraging. So we've chatted quite a bit, and you have quite the story from where you started to where you are now. Could you kind of take us through how you got started? <laughs> in the industry and what that looked like in the early days? Yeah, cool, cool. Um, so, yeah, I started uh, when I was like 17, maybe 17 and a half, and it's a bit of a funny story and actually how I got into the game. So my father and my grandfather were in earth moving, um, and as, as a 17-year-old, I was just working on uh, horse studs and whatnot, and Dad's truck, it was ute, had to get taken into the shop for a couple of days, so I had to take Dad to work, you know, over several morning, several mornings, and... And uh, what I'd do is I'd, I'd take Dad to work. I had a surfboard on the on the roof of my car, and I'd go to the beach after dropping Dad off. But every morning he'd say, "Do you want to hang around and learn this thing?" And it was a compactor, and just to shut him up, I said yes one day, and that was the start of it. And that was I started in civil. I started on um, subdivisions in and around the Gold Coast of, of Queensland, and then rode the the civil um, bandwagon around for for you know five or ten years. Uh, found myself in Canada. Um, I got a working visa over in Canada and worked over there for probably 15 months. Again, just in that civil sphere, um, kicking around Edmonton and uh, in Calgary mainly. And then from there, I came back to Australia and, and, and got into the, uh, into the mining sphere, Mac, um, where I was working at a coal mining uh, operation in the Hunter Valley. Um, and I was doing that for probably seven or eight years. And then um, just from there, I just, you know, I knew the longevity of operating was hard on your body, just just simply um, what I've seen with my dad. So I made a conscious decision, I think it was 2008, to, um, to get into training. And from there, I've just been, you know, progressively just, you know, working that training angle as much as I could, where I was working for an Australian Caterpillar dealership for six or seven years. And then just, you know, morphed into um, our current entity, which is Australian Earth Training. Um, and, like, the early days, man, they were awesome, you know, because the early days, I, I feel quite fortunate, Mac, that in the early days, it wasn't all about holding a piece of paper and the opportunity to bounce from a compactor to a loader to a bulldozer to a scraper. It was there and it was easy. And a lot of the old heads that, that I got to learn off, um, were, were fantastic with their time um, and, and, and with their knowledge, you know, whereas whereas people now coming through, it's bloody hard, you know. It's it's really hard because 
the requirement to have a ticket or, or a unit of competency or whatever it is, that's first and foremost. But you know yourself, man, it's really hard to get um, experience to, to go and get it assessed, to have that opportunity, you know. So kind of in a way we've gone all – we've made life hard for ourselves as an industry. And, and I'm, I'm not saying bloody, um, you know, competency is it's not a part of our landscape. 100% it is. But, you know, in order for, for younger people or, or new to industry people to get a crack, it's bloody hard. You mentioned you were a certified dealer instructor for Hastings Deering when we were talking. How did that kind of shape where you are now with, with the business? Oh, mate, hugely, hugely shaped where the business is now, you know. And without Hastings Deering, like, I wouldn't have the confidence that, that I've that I've got now, you know. So just just being a dealer instructor, um, it, it comes with a little bit of weight, you know, because as soon as you roll onto a site with with Caterpillar blazoned on your shirt, straight away you're a guru. And in the early days, whether you are or you're not, right, and in the early days I used to struggle with that concept and I felt that I had to know everything about all the product lines and, and physically Mac you can't, you know what I mean? So – I had to check myself and just say to people, you know, like, I don't know that answer, you know, can I come back to you? Um, and then, like, throughout throughout the years, you get opportunities. Like, I, I got um, assessed on 10, 10 pieces of equipment. So I hold, I held, sorry, I held 10 CDIs, Caterpillar Dealer Instructor accreditations across 10, 10 machines, across multiple um, machine families. And what it told me, right, is is my my skills and ability that I was bringing to the table, and then to go and get assessed by one of the most iconic brands within the, across the world, it kind of validates that you are on the right track. You know, it's not like it's not as if you go into a dealership and you get tapped on the head with a wand, and all of a sudden you've got skills coming out the yin yang. You know, you got to bring you got to bring your your skills and knowledge to the table. And then, then you've got to work on how you um, uh, on past those those skills and knowledge. You know what I mean? And I think the most, like looking back, the most pivotal thing for me was I got to chaperone an American guy, and he was direct from the the Greater Group um, from Caterpillar in the US, a, a guy named Phil Newbury. Now Phil had all the rights under the sun to be the most arrogant person around, simply with his knowledge of of graders mac right and like to the point where i think he said on his third day when he got a when he got the job with with caterpillar um his boss called him into the office and he said mate we're thinking about developing a uh, a grader without a steering wheel with joysticks and phil made the quip that you know you're mad you know you're a lunatic or whatever he said you know so his his knowledge around that grader um, product was like untapped but what I got from Phil was his ability to connect with people. So for two weeks, I chaperoned him around central Queensland and, and Queensland, visiting customers, you know, Phil uh, um, talking, you know, uh, observing what some of their challenges were, you know, talking with the operators, talking with their general managers. And then the way Phil interacted, he made every person feel as if, um, you know, the whole trip was about them, you know, and he wasn't, Excuse me. He wasn't, um, you know, he'd share a laugh. He was fantastic, and still is. He's, you know, he's fantastic at telling stories. Um, but at the end of the day, Phil could get across what needed to what needed to be embedded, 
and and the way he did it was just mate, brilliant in my eyes. And I, I look I look back at that as the pivotal moment to go. You know what? This is what I want to do, and this is what I want to do well, and this is how you know on the back of um, what I've seen and what I've learned from Phil. That's that's the way I want to do business. You know. So your experience is is phenomenal. I mean, you started off in Canada, which is what I like the most. And you worked in <laughs> construction and, and mining up here and then working under Hastings Deering for some of the, the best in the industry really helped you pivot into this new business, Australian Earth. Could you kind of give us a rundown of what, what it's all about, what the operator profici- proficiency and training is all about with your company? Yeah, mate, 100%. So, so just a step it back. Like there's, there's, there's training out there that again, we'll uh, focus on, on accreditation, you know, it's that piece of paper at the end of it. And it's, there's not a lot of performance criteria around it, Mac, you know, like cycle times of, a, of an excavator or, uh, you know, push distances of, of a dozer. So our, our training is a little bit more higher level um, than, than your run-of-the-mill kind of training. Um, so like we'll, we'll go into an operation um, and have a look around just to see, you know, dig setups. Uh, are they are they are they set up in, in a fashion that's going to uh, promote success, or is are they set up in a, in a fashion that's going to, you know, add add twenty seconds to your cycle or whatever it may be? So we offer three levels of training. So level one is just you know new to industry um, kind of training. You know, our level two is coming in on a customer um, request. So they've identified a particular area that they want to um, that they want to drill into and, and you know try to try to rectify. And then our level three is like going into the application, and it's not just about like we don't just target the operator. You know when when we go into an operation, we always encourage that um, supervisors, superintendents, if if they're available, and and even furthermore engineers, mate, that they get involved with the conversation, because you know it's one thing to train the operator. Uh, but the thing about it, right, is training Training has always been about ac- uh, accountability. You know, I, I can train you, uh, Mac, on how to, you know, drive a bulldozer. I'll leave site. If Mac chooses to push on with what, what, what we've discussed and, you know, all the techniques, yada, yada, happy days. But if you don't, who holds Mac to account? That's where our supervisors, our leading hands, our superintendents can step in and go, you know, that's not the way we do, you know, that's the way we do business. You, you, you're trying to do X while you're doing this, you know? So that's where we're fitting in. You know, we're fitting in trying to, to, to lower our customers owner and owning and operating costs, you know, fuel burns are a massive issue. Um, you know, tons production just speaks for itself, but it's all these other little things that get bolted onto production that can either cause your production to cost a lot or it can be cost effective. So that's where we fit in my, I, I totally agree with that point. A lot of this operator training has to go just, you know, beyond operators into engineers, supervisors, superintendents, and you guys are really hitting it home on that point. When I was with Hastings, I actually I did a job uh, and I was asked to deliver some application, tra- application training for a group of engineers, Mac. Okay, so uh, I'm not overly academic. Um, but when I was asked initially, I thought, man, what am I going to teach these people? You know, like they've been to university. And I just thought that through that process that they'd learn all about the stuff that I was regurgitating. However, what I found out throughout that training session session and after is 
the engineers coming through get a high level of understanding around, you know, a dozer and, and yada, yada, but they don't get real granular. Um, so they, they that group, of, was, there was two groups of engineers, they actually got a lot out of it. And again, it's one of those moments that you go, it's one of those little light bulb moments to go, you know what, like as much as I started as an operator trainer, the learnings and the benefits, you know, they go beyond just the end user, you know, and, 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 and further to that, Mark, one of the, one of the lads that sat in on uh, one of those sessions, actually, he reached out to me early in the week. He's, um, he's looking at uh, potentially bringing in um, a, a larger size uh, excavator to their operation. And he wanted to hand with, he wanted to hand with some specs and some, um, you know, some, some cycle times on, on these other, um, these other excavator solutions, you know? So, it's just it was yeah it was it was at the time I'm not joking I, I was I was freaking out I'm thinking what what am I going to teach these guys and girls, um, but they got they got benefit out of it mate. So that that leads into the next point of why is operator training in itself so important for these companies or these individuals because typical operator training schools at least up here in Canada will train the person before they get employed but you guys are coming in at any point in that process whether it's new hire. Uh, previous experience or a lot of experience. So why is operator training so important? Mate, it's so important because at the end of the day, that person behind the the wheel or the levers has a huge bearing on not only production costs, but also um, uh, operator-induced events uh, on, 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 that, on that asset. You know, and again, it's not, a, it's not like, Every operator gets, you know, the understanding of of, of components and, and how an input can have a negative effect to a component on a, on a machine, you know. So the conversations need to to, to happen. Otherwise, you, you know, you, you're going to have uh, uh, potentially uh, an operator doing the same negative uh, technique over and over and over and over and over, potentially for the life of that operator or for, for the life of the asset. And it's costing money, you know. It's costing money in downtime. It's costing money in, you know, accelerated component wear, whatever it may be. But the conversation, it's 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 got to happen, you know. And it's not as if we go in there wheel on a big stick. It's just sitting down and going. Do you understand that that input is having a negative effect to that to that pin or to that cylinder? And this is how it happens. And this is why it happens. And this is how what what you should be doing. It's going to have a positive effect, so that, that that's the that's the the benefit and, and the why of, you know we get invited, and also um, it's not only the the production side of 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 an organisation that will engage us. Again, mate, I, I had a conversation with the maintenance superintendent literally this week about his um, his sixteen ages. So, although he's not a, a part of the the production day to day. He's 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 feeling he he's he's maintenance um, his maintenance shop is feeling some negative uh, impacts on on the graders just the way they're being operated. So he's on the front foot, picking up the phone, going, "What can you do for us?" You know. So it's not just the production side of the house. So the benefit of proficient operator training extends beyond reducing project completion times and improving efficiency. Equipment downtime's a big factor in that too, and I think. A lot of people don't see that because they don't see the inner workings of the business. They don't see the machine down for 
you know, a week or down for so many hours, they just see it going to the shop and they get a different one to go work on. So <laughs> have it, re- decreasing that downtime through more proficient operators is got to be extremely important to companies these days, especially with the price of equipment and the rarity of really good operators. Oh, bang on, you know, some, some of our customers measure really well, Mac, others, um, you know, experience the benefits of what we do in other ways. But, uh, one of the conversations or, you know, a a part of the conversation that forms up during the start of, you know, when we roll into an operation is, you know, do you have any, any measurement tools that we can, you know, do pre and post to the training simply because I, I, you know, I can wax lyrical all day about what we do and, and what I, you know, think the benefits will be for your operation. However, if if you measure, if an operation measures, you know, mean time in between failures or uptime, whatever it is, that's that's the meat and potatoes to tell you if our training events were successful. And that's got a double-edged sword to it, Mark. You know, like if we, if we weren't, obviously, you know, we need to, you know, pick up our game or whatever. However... You know the fact that that they can measure against um, can can give them some fantastic um, uh, fantastic outcomes, and it also for us as a business, if that customer um, is is like minded, and and, you know we can use those those um, measurement outcomes to promote what we do, man, that's the win win. You know, it's it's one thing to have an asset like like people. Companies buy machines, Mac, to move dirt. They don't buy them to, you know, sit in the shop and, and, and pull spanners on or pull wrenches on, you know. So whenever that asset's in the shop, if it's if it's an unscheduled maintenance event, that's not cool, you know. So that's where the operator comes in to try and, you know, to, to do their bit and run that piece of kit in line with the manufacturer's um, specifications and, you know, utilising some of our proficiency tips. Are there any benchmark numbers you could share detailing how much the impact of operator training realizes? So I guess the, yeah, I can. So the latest, well, one of the late, uh, one of the recent um, training events that we've been doing, we've been working with a customer for nearly two years now and that they run a WA 900 um, wheel loader as, as a face loader machine. And over time, over the two years, they've experienced double digit reductions in their fuel burn. So, in any in anyone's speak in anyone's money that's that's a fair outcome um so that's probably the the, the most recent um success story that, that we've had you know along with that they've also had a reduction in in workforce for for you know whatever the reason may be but they've been able to maintain production requirements um through their through their crusher so again you know that that there in itself uh, as a like for me as a business owner you know, it, it kind of lets me know that, that that we are that we are providing some um, some benefits there, and and what we're doing is resonating, and it's got you know some real outcomes. You know, like we did some work with a um, a, a company up north, one of the mining companies in Australia. They had some sixteen uh, M's. So before the before the training kicked off, they were getting about eighty five percent availability out of their greater fleets. Um, so and post training after the training we you know we upped that by six percent you know we ended up getting ninety one percent availability you know the the unplanned maintenance events um, you know we, we we impacted that in in a positive in a positive um, sense you know so not all companies measure that well 
but the ones that do, we try and we try and extrapolate some of those numbers out. You know that that, that we can you know have these conversations with with with, uh, with other customers. There's a few key metrics you've talked to me about, like machine utilization, mean time between failure occurrences, and machine avail- availability. How how important are those numbers to companies for measuring equipment and and operators? Oh, it's it's huge. You know, like to take out a uh, to to extend the mean time in between failures is massive. You know what I mean? Like companies will quote a job based on the knowledge that they have around the material type, the haul type, you know, yada yada, whatever whatever the factors are. The variable is going to be is you know the machine uptime throughout that throughout that um, project or, or or throughout that mining life. So for, for those guys, for those um, bean counters as such, to you know for those guys to keep hitting their mark, the people operating the gear have to be hitting their mark as far as you know operating operating it in the right way. That's going to be efficient, um, you know, for the fuel burn, for the productivity. And just for the life of the uh, just just for the for the life of the asset too. I think it's really important for operators or anyone within the company, for that matter, to realize the back end ramifications of you know downtime and equipment failure failure and whatnot, because that has a huge impact on companies' bottom lines. And on very many occasions, they may well not be operating on a lot of uh, cash flow on a project. That's and that's correct, you know. And and I think you mentioned it before, Mark, that. Uh, you know, when something breaks, the operator will take it into the shop and there's another grader sitting there waiting for them and it's just, it's not a thought. And I think there's there's another train of thought that, oh, this company, um, you know, they've got, they got all these machines, they're, they're just rolling in cash. And again, it's not like that, mate, you know. Uh, for companies to win projects now, everything is super lean, everything is super competitive. So in order... For that company to, to keep flourishing and, and to be profitable and, you know, to keep employing those 10, 20,000 people, everyone's got to play their part. Because like, like, like I said before, mate, people don't, like organisations don't buy equipment. They don't spend $20 million on a, on a, on a shovel just to work on. <laughs> just, it's not, it's not, that's not it. You know, it's there to do a job and the person behind the levers has to do their job. Um, and you know, again, that's where we come in, and, and and we support those guys and girls with with you know the right technique. Is operator training important for older generations or younger generations, or or both? Can you can you teach older operators a lot of experience, you know, a, a new trick, or, or rather just how to utilize new equipment? And can you teach younger generations like millennials and Gen Z, for that matter, you know, how to actually get in a piece of equipment maybe for the first time? The biggest thing with operating, and, and like this is not just operating, mate. You know, being a geologist, if you want to be good at what you do, you know, you, you're going to be engaged. Um, and, and and I've seen that. You know, like you, you can't you can't train a person that just does not want to be there. Okay, so number one, whether you're a young head or you're an old head, you've got to be bringing a little bit of you know, I, I want to know. So to answer your question. I've walked into, I've walked onto a job where, you know, I'm training a, 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 you know, 55 year old person, and I'm thinking, mate, what am like in my head? What am I going to, you know, teach these people? So, I've taught older people 
older generations a technique that, that can help them. I've also taught them don't be afraid of, of what modern machines um, have in the way of like, the monitoring platform has changed considerably since I've started Mac, you know, going away from analog gauges to, you know, having uh, an interactive bloody monitoring system. So, and, and, and this is this is the thing about training too, Mac. So I know when I came through, the trainers that I had, you know, we'd get into the machine and they'd, they'd, they'd show you all the low-hanging fruit, you know, this is how you lift the blade up, blah, blah, blah. And they'd always point to the monitoring system and they go, don't worry about that, you don't need to know about it. Yeah, well, that's a bunch of BS because in that monitoring platform, and I utilise monitoring monitoring platforms hugely when I'm training because it's not about what I'm saying, it's about the machine, it's what exactly what the machine's saying. So I'll utilise that monitoring platform to have a positive outcome for the training event. So the older heads, I find going through the breaking down the monitoring platform or, or breaking down the, the, the technology so it's not this big scary beast, you know what I mean? Like... And and we can we can get um, as an operator like throughout the, throughout our shift we can look at that monitoring platform and find out what a component's doing or or you know what our fuel burns doing or whatever it may be. So the older heads they get benefit from training. The younger people coming through, man, as long as they as long as they're engaged, mate, they're all ears. And and the monitoring platform for for people coming through. It's not, it's not their fear, you know, like you're coming from the, the, the technology age of, you know, kids that have been playing with bloody iPhones and iPads, whatever it may be for, for 10, 15 years, that's old hat, you know. For those guys and girls, it's more about the technique. It's more about the, the how, the why, you know, am I doing it right? So I've, I, I honestly, I think the fallacy of, um, uh, you know, older, because you've got time and skin in the game, that you, you know everything. It's not right, mate. I've, I've worked with people that have had 25 years operating a dump truck. And seriously, every time they come, they used to come to the, to the dump, you, you'd swear that they had had like, you know, six months in the game. So the fact that people have time up doesn't necessarily convert into, ex, uh, uh, I don't know if experience is the right word, but they don't, they don't have, you know, that they haven't nailed what they should have, if that makes sense. We're definitely moving into a new age of smart iron, if, you, if you'd want to call it that. You've got all this new equipment with just so much technology packed into it. Are companies missing out on their investment in new equipment by not properly acquainting operators with the capabilities of it? You know what? I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say yes. And look, I think I think a lot of it, so it's like, I think a lot of um, that technology angled has got to come from the manufacturer. So when one of the last training sessions I had when I was at Hastings Deering, we had um, one of the technology guys from from Caterpillar come in and it was just on the it was on the cusp of the next gen um, age, and this chap just come back from Japan. And he said that Komatsu, with their um, their offerings, they've actually put on 200 people that just go out to your job site and make sure that your operator is squared on all the tech, which I, I thought was bloody brilliant. You know what I mean? Because a lot of the times the technology is marketed really well and, you know, the, 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 the take-up's really well, 
And sometimes it's not supported that well with the bloody end user, you know. And if you can't, as an operator, if you can't tap into or if you don't understand the tech, you just, at the end of the day, like if, you, if we use the next gen as an example, if you don't know how to tap into the tech, it's just an excavator. So what I've sort of come to the realisation over the last probably five or ten years is no longer do people buy iron because it's yellow or because it's orange you know they're buying they're buying that tech you know what i mean and 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 technology kind of kind of makes it a little bit of a level playing field you know you're always going to have these little idiosyncrasies amongst manufacturers but yeah the 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 thing about you know buying yellow for for 20 years mate it's not it's not the case If, if you've got if you've got a well supported um product and that end user i.e. the operator, is, um, you know, really across the offering, that's where you're going to have a, um, a big impact. And that ties in with a lot of what you do is familiarizing operators with the new technology as well on any brand of equipment for that matter, just to get them up to speed and so they can be more productive and efficient while using it. Yeah, correct. Correct, you know, because... They're sitting in that machine for 10, 8, 10, 12 hours a day. And like I said before, Mark, if, if they're not, if they don't understand what that machine is bringing to the table, well, you know, they might as well be driving a bloody D6H or whatever. You know what I mean? Like they, it's just a dozer or it's just an excavator. You need to, the, 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 the end user has to, be, has to be engaged. End of story. Otherwise, any benefits aren't found. So you work with a lot of companies in Australia and beyond. Do you think there's a lot of like this proverbial skills gap for operators right now? Because you're exposed to a lot of companies and you talk to a lot of people. Do you think that exists? Oh, you know what, mate? I'm going to say that there is. And look, first I'll talk about what I've seen in Australia over the last 10 or 15 years. So in Australia... In the past, like I say, ten or fifteen years, there's been a huge, a huge uptick in um, the appetite for our resources. Okay, so we've had a couple of little blips along the way, the GFC, and you know what's currently going on. But generally speaking, our resources industry has just been phenomenal. You know, for the last ten or fifteen years. So what, what does that mean as far as the skills gap? Well, what what I've seen is it's nearly it's nearly been a, a bums in seat kind of mentality mac and, and what i mean by that is just we need people let's just get them on machines you know if they can go from a to b that's good you know what i mean so now in the last few years the uh, the resources industry um uh, has had a few fatalities and and i'm not here to make light of that situation or anything but the fact of it is is i think training has kind of taken a back seat um, throughout that process, sure, we get engaged, and, and, and people like me get engaged to do um, to do their to do to do training. However, I think I think the foundational stuff there needs to be a lot more time given. You know, I, I've I've been a site trainer, Mac, where you know a, a production guy will come into the room and go, mate, I need that person passed out, uh, authorized, competent to go and drive that truck in 20 minutes. You know, skills and knowledge doesn't happen in 20 minutes. You know, so as an industry, 
you know, we need to step back. We need to have a broader understanding that if we want, if we want safe, competent, efficient people, the process needs to change. You know, the focus of just getting that person out and getting them on a piece of kit. That's not. It's not going to be. It's not going to. Um, it's not going to be uh, good for the for the long game. If you know what I mean. How can companies build a culture to kind of support that level of operator training and really encourage people to start a career as an operator? Wow, that's a good question, man. Um, it, it, it just takes time, mate. You know what I mean? It's all building blocks. Like I've been doing this stuff for over 25 years and I think we spoke about it the other day, Mac. Like I, I didn't. You know, you, you don't you don't just get tapped on the head with a wand and you got all these skills. Like you got to stumble, you got to fall, you got to bloody, you got to learn. The understanding just it needs to be that it's 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 a long game approach. And I, I get that, I get that. You know, there's money associated with with what we do as far as you know timelines and budgets and all that sort of stuff. I, I get that. However, to keep doing what we're doing and and, and expect a different outcome. I don't think it's realistic, you know, because again, but you know yourself that uh, if you do something wrong and 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 there's no if there's no support mechanism there to to try and rectify, so you're not doing it wrong the next time, you know, whether it's a technique or whatever it may be, you you know, you you blew a tire or whatever it may be. If there's not a support network there to say, look, this is why it happened, this is what you got to do next time to avoid it, just it just doesn't make sense to me, mate. You know, and it's it's not, and it doesn't augur well for for people's mental health either. You know, like I know when again when I was coming through, I'd be doing a job, and I was always thinking like, is this the right way to do it? And sometimes the the, the trainers and the people around you they don't have the skills and knowledge to to offer advice. You know, so I always found myself you always sort of you know tied up and am I doing this right? So that's another aspect that I've seen personally. Is is the is the mental health relief of of just you know supporting an operator, you know, so, so they are feeling better about themselves and they and they are feeling what they're doing is right. I think that support, internal support in a company is absolutely key. Like you mentioned, having either a site supervisor, or superintendent trained up, or some sort of program internally to help encourage and support people when they're not sure how to do a task or or they've never been on a certain piece of gear. I'd like yeah. to kind of jump into technology a bit because it's quite the hot topic these days. So how do, how do you see technology being infused into the industry and what do you see coming in the next decade or, or decade or two? Uh, look, mate, particularly around training, um, virtual reality, I think, offers the most exciting opportunity in a training sense. Um, like simulators... And there's some there's some great simulators out there. Like I'm not saying that simulators are, are dead in the water, certainly not. But in my view, you know, sh- packing up a 20 foot shipping container and sending it to you know Papua New Guinea or Africa or whatever it may be, that's a task and it's and it's costly. You know, I I, I see virtual reality um, as a genuine training tool moving forward, and obviously the, the benefits you know from from those sorts of systems is potentially. And we've um, we've been working with a young VR developer here in Brisbane over the past twelve months. So the benefits of VR are obviously, you know, potentially you can raise the skill skill set of an operator 
before they get on the machine, which means that you're not tying that machine, that asset up to conduct training. So it's not costing you money with all the associated costs with that asset. That asset's not taken out of production. So where where we see VR particularly um, is hopefully we can get it to a point where we can start doing application training, just dialing some of those some of those critical skills required to like on a grader as, as such, you know, like um, t- uh, bringing the bringing the uh, the blade out and, and, and cutting a slope or a batter. Potentially, you can do that in the VR world and really dial those skills in. So when they do get on the machine, sure, you know, the sound, the smell, the the vibrations, that's going to be different. But that muscle memory that they've that they've gained potentially in the VR in the VR world. It's going to translate into um, into some positives. So, virtual reality, legit, does excite me. Simulators, yeah, you know, I'm neither here here nor there. Because, again, I, I want to jump on a plane this mo- like tomorrow morning with a VR set in my backpack, and go up to a site, you know, get some people in a bloody classroom, dial in whatever the technique we want to, you know, we want to focus on, and then we just go out and get the machine and hit the ground running. That's what excites me about technology and training, 100%. We've discussed quite a bit already. I'm, I'd like to wrap up by asking if you could share a few pieces of advice for someone looking to start a career as an operator. Be persistent, particularly in the current climate. You will get your break. You will get your break. Um, you know, what, what I used to do, Mac, when, when, I, when I was coming through, so I started on a compactor. And again, looking back, it was a fantastic place to start because you learn about soil, you learn about compaction, you learn about, um, you know, how materials come together, how a road forms up. You get to watch a lot of stuff. You know, you get to watch how scrapers work. You get to watch how a digger works, you know, laying culverts. Just bring bring that attitude, bring that hunger. And, like, I'd go and ask a, a, an operator at, 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 um, at Smoko or at lunch or whatever, Mate, do you mind if I, you know, can you show me how to how to operate a grader? And I'm talking like low level. Like I wasn't trimming or anything, you know what I mean? It was just more, I had an appetite. I just wanted to learn more. So just just have that attitude that, you you know, you you are keen, you know, you want to better yourself, try and park an ego um, and just, you know, don't stop asking questions. And, again, this is this is beyond operating. This is just in life, you know. Don't stop asking questions. And there's one more thing, Matt. So we've been talking about we've been talking about you know um, how to you know getting into the industry and all that sort of jazz. But another thing that I found hugely beneficial for me is whenever a machine went down, um, you know, with a blowing hose or, or, or something was wrong, I'd always stay with the machine until the the fitters got there, the mechanics got out there, and mate, I would sit there and find out obviously what happened, why it happened. I'd sit there, I'd pass them um, spanners or wrenches, you know. So I was learning, I, I wanted to learn about the machine, you know. And, again, what I was doing to those levers that either caused that problem or whatever, you know, I always seriously hang out with your fitters, hang out with your mechanics because it, it'll take your game a level up and your understanding of that machine a level up. Scott, thank you very much for being on the show today. I know a lot of people are going to get value from this. If somebody had further questions, is there a way they could get in contact with yourself or Australian Earth for that matter? 
Absolutely, mate. We're we're across most of the platforms. We're on the LinkedIn. Um, we're doing the Insta uh, Australian underscore Earth underscore Training. Um, we're doing the Facebook thing at Australian Earth Training. Uh, you can hit me up personally with an email, Scott at Australian Earth Training dot com dot au, or just check out our website, Australian Earth Training dot com dot au. Um, yeah, that'd be probably the most obvious ones, mate. And yeah, just uh, as a starting point. So thank you for listening today, everybody. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you got value from today's episode, please share with somebody in the industry or who's looking to get into the industry. We're trying to build this into an educational resource for people to consume at their leisure. So we'll leave it at that. And until next episode, we'll see you then.